1: Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your personal guitar wizard. Scientist guy. With 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars, sitting beside me is my lovely co-host, Melissa.
2: Greetings! I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier.
1: Oh, yeah. We don't have any calls today, but we have a lot of questions. Cool. Yeah, some good questions about... Next ability f hole arch top rewiring oh uh, whether or not you can pump your own gas in Oregon oh oh yeah we get into all the all the major topics of the day
2: yeah very interesting topics
1: mm-hmm. pick up uh, pick up questions about phase questions about locking tuners and uh all kinds of things we'll get into that
2: neto yeah hey uh what's on your bench
1: lately a lot of. Uh, recent Martins, you know, like newer Martins. For some reason, it's it's weird how things come in waves, you know. And recently, it's been all like newer Martins. I don't know why, but that's just how it rolls sometimes. Things come in uh, like threes and fours.
2: Yeah, Yeah. interesting.
1: Newer Martins are kind of easier to set up than vintage Martins because they have adjustable truss rods Mm. where... Martins made before 1985 do not, so mm. makes it kind of easier. Cool. Yeah, a lot of new Martins. Uh, I've also been working on, believe it or not, and don't tell anybody this, but I've been working on several mandolins. Whoa. I know, and I don't... Here's the deal. I, I decided a few years ago to draw the line at guitars and basses, okay? Right. I don't want to do mandolins. I don't want to do banjos. I don't want to do ukuleles. I would if I were starving, Okay. I certainly can. I understand that they're basically tiny guitars. Right. It's funny. People will call me and they'll say, hey, can you set up my ukulele? And I'll say, no, I'm sorry, I don't do ukuleles. And they'll almost every time they say, well, you know, it's just a tiny guitar, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I know, I'm i familiar with ukuleles. <laughs> I mean, believe me, I I understand the concept. I'm, what I'm saying is that I, I have limited... um. Yeah. Availability here. Right. I have to draw the line somewhere. I'm trying to keep my turnaround time down, and I'm, try- I, I'm just drowning in projects right now, to be honest with you.
2: It's a good problem to have. It is.
1: It's great. I've got uh, a, a bunch of custom builds that are going to be shipping out in the coming week, hmm. maybe, maybe 10 days. Cool. Yeah. I have a bunch of vintage restorations that I need to get started on. Oh. A lot of stuff a lot of stuff coming up cool yeah things are good um in other news uh since we've spoken last i have i've been recovering from a minor surgery
2: whoa
1: yeah i know i mean it's i mean i know about it she knows about it
2: obviously there's
1: no big deal but um here's the other thing i finally made melissa watch one of my favorite movies of all time (gasps) Now, it's been—I it, I don't know why I waited 10 years to, to make her watch this, but we finally watched the epic 90s western starring uh, Val Kilmer and uh, Kurt Russell,
0: mm-hmm. many of you mm-hmm. may know,
1: called Tombstone. Yep. I love the movie. I, haven't, I hadn't seen it, I, I don't think, since we met.
2: Well, yeah, I've never seen it.
1: I used to watch it— um, In the 90s, it was one of my favorites, you know. You go down to Blockbuster and and rent the VHS for 99 cents. Well, I I probably rented it 10 times. Uh, I just, I love that movie. I don't know why. It's just been one of my favorites. And finally, I made her watch it. And much to my surprise, she thought it was the worst movie ever made.
2: Look, I was was thinking it was going to be like a good, the bad, and the ugly type of movie. But it was more like a crappy the movie yeah
1: it's just the bad
2: it uh, i don't like kurt russell we watched there's a kurt russell a newer kurt russell movie where he plays santa claus i don't remember what it's called
1: straight to netflix
2: yeah but we watched it and ever since i can't handle kurt russell it's just so he's so bad
1: it's a cheesy movie i mean it's like a, uh, it's like a jerry bruckheimer Western.
2: Yeah, and the sets are bad, and the acting's bad, and the screenplay was The sets are confusing. good.
1: The acting's good. The dialogue's good. Okay, the whole movie, the, whole, the point of the whole movie for me...
2: Was Val Kilmer.
1: Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday.
2: And I loved Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. He's great. great. But Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp was a no for me.
1: So the moral of the story is don't make your wife watch Tombstone.
0: She Hard
2: pass.
1: She will punch you in the arm. <laughs> the other, in a related story, uh, you should listen to your wife here because if you have one. Um, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I have chronic back pain. I have some mild problems. I have, I have mild scoliosis, and I have just some problems that my muscles cramp up and won't let go, and it keeps me up at night. And uh, she's been telling me for years. Do yoga. And I said, oh, come on. You know, yoga. What is that going to do? That's not going to help. Plus, yoga is for girls and Californians. I'm not going to do that. And she convinced me to try it. And she was absolutely right.
2: Thank you. It
1: has helped me so much. It has helped me so much. It's amazing. But do we have to call it yoga?
2: it's called stretching. Can
1: we just call it stretching? Um so the moral of the story here is two things really. Keep an open mind. And these your are wife. just these are just life lessons from your luthier, okay? Mm-hmm. We can talk about guitars in a minute.
2: Your wife knows best.
1: Listen to the people who love you. They sometimes they have your best interests in in their heart and you you don't you don't recognize it. And the other thing is be open-minded. I thought yoga was a useless exercise in futility. I didn't understand that it would help my muscles. I didn't understand that it would help my body. I thought it was sitting there and humming, and like I think I was confusing it with meditation and maybe
0: yeah,
1: uh, you know the whole namaste
0: nonsense. Well, yeah,
2: they're all part of the same thing. But...
1: I I so now I do yoga, but I'm not gonna say namaste. Okay, okay, I, I refuse. All right, okay. Where were we?
2: Should we talk about oh, some we're guitars? we're doing a podcast. Yeah. But.
1: So we had no telephone calls, uh, which is fine.
0: Mm-hmm. Actually
1: makes it easier for me, but we would love it if you would call. Please do. Call in your question, 757-774-8482. You can just leave a voicemail there. Call any time of night or day. <laughs> but uh, for now, we are going to take some questions. Ladders.
0: We get ladders.
2: Hello. In past episodes, the subject of flat sawn versus quarter sawn maple necks has been discussed, and I agree that either wood grain orientation will likely make a fine neck. My question, however, is about the necks that fall somewhere close to the middle of the two categories. On these necks, when viewed at the end of the heel, for example, instead of seeing lines that are primary primarily vertical or horizontal, and being close to symmetrical left and right of center, the growth ring pattern is such that the lines are at about a 45-degree angle all the way across. Stability of the neck and specifically likelihood of the neck twisting due to changes in humidity are the focus of my questions. Mm. Number one, how much deviation from the ideal is acceptable here in your opinion? Do you want to take these one at a time?
1: Sure. How much deviation is acceptable? When I look at the grain at the end of the neck, uh, they usually fall somewhere in between. So I think that any deviation from perfectly vertical or perfectly horizontal is fine, as long as the neck is straight. Okay. And oftentimes you'll see, you know, if if you look at the end grain at the butt of the neck, it's doing one thing but by the time the grain is has reached the headstock you look at the end of the headstock and it's moved you know i right. mean we're dealing with wood here it's not perfect and it's not it's not always going to be the same uh, at the two ends of the neck so um it, in my opinion any deviation is acceptable as long as the neck looks like it's a good piece of maple and as long as it's staying straight
2: there you go uh, number two judging by the fenders you've seen and worked on in your career, how fussy did Leo seem to be regarding this not at all there you go uh, number three should this feature be a deciding factor in a guitar purchase in your opinion
1: uh honestly no um there's 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 things there, there's about twelve different things that would be ahead of that so yeah it, I don't think I've ever checked uh, on any of the guitars that I've bought, like off the shelf, or yeah, you know, I I, I didn't, I never checked before I bought them. Like, oh, mm-hmm. well, is this is this is this flat sawn or quarter sawn or you know? It's just, I don't know. It doesn't really. I I get it that it's a consideration, you know, yeah. but. Um, It's just not, uh, I I care more about how the guitar plays, feels, and sounds, and whether or not the neck is straight, and if the fretwork is good.
2: Hmm. You guys make the fret files interesting, informative, and entertaining. Thank you, Eric and Melissa, for making the most anticipated podcast that I personally subscribe to. Sincerely, Clean Tone in Johannesburg, is it Johannesburg, or Uh, Johannesburg?
1: Well, I don't know. Michigan. Michigan? Yeah. So not South Africa.
2: Right. Right
1: Clean tone Clean like, tone Like Clinton But pronounced clean Clean tone Clean tone. Like he's a Rastafari Yeah Clean eh hey, clean tone
2: Very nice Well thanks clean tone
1: <laughs> Thanks buddy
2: <laughs> A quick question for the podcast Could you talk to us about rewiring an F-hole archtop guitar please Eric Happy New Year from Belfast Belfast Bel- uh, I Belfast can't, I can't pronounce anything today Ireland That's from Peter
1: uh, talk about rewiring an F-hole archtop guitar. Uh, n- not, uh, I can't do that without without uh, changing our G rating. So I'm gonna <laughs> have to use some some
2: s- some, some cuss uh, words?
1: French words here. Oh dear. Uh, no, it's 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 a lot more work than any other guitar. Uh, but the bottom line is, you either have to work through the pickup holes or the F holes. And that's all there is to it. So there's ways to do that. I use, um, either dental floss or fishing line or just string in order to pull those things, you know, to pull the pots through and pull the jack Mm -hmm. through. Uh, sometimes I use magnets.
2: So if you're re, you have to take everything out to rewire it and then put it all back in? Uh,
1: It depends on what you're doing. If you, yeah, if you need to, if you need to work on it, um, very much, yeah, you have to take the entire harness out, typically. Wow. I mean, there are things you can sometimes get away with doing a little, you know, solder touch-up through an F-hole, but you got to be real careful, because it's like playing Operation. I mean, right. you know, you, you've you got a hot 700-degree poker there, and, and if you get that too close to the woods, you're going to burn the finish, so... Yeah, and his um, nose will light up. That's right, and then the thing will buzz, and <laughs> sorry... So, uh, yeah, it's it's just a pain. And it's something that after you've done it about 1,200 times, uh, you don't get any uh, better at it, but you get faster. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Thanks, Peter. Hi, Eric and Melissa. First off, no, you still can't pump your own gas in Oregon. Oh, I was wrong.
1: Oh, but you can smoke <laughs> marijuana.
2: There you go. Uh, but it rains all the time, so it's okay with me. I have two questions. I have a... Give me some help here. Larive. Larive on my bench that has never had a pick guard, and the owner would like me to install one. After a couple decades of love, there's a large patch where the finish is down to bare wood, where the pick guard would be. I'm having a hard time describing it, but I'm sure you know exactly what I mean.
1: Man, if there were only some means of, like, a... Like some kind of pick guard that you could put on that, yeah, to shield the wood from. If only from there pick was wear. something
2: specifically made to prevent <laughs> such such happenings. Uh, my first question is this: Am I going to run into any difficulty attaching the new pick guard where the finish is gone on the wood, and it is slightly shaved down? Would you suggest one adhesive route over another, spray adhesive, peel and stick, or something else? Uh, why don't you t- Why don't we take them one at a time?
1: Yeah. Um. If you're if if you're gonna put a pit guard there and there's some pitting in the wood there, I would be tempted to fill that with cyanoacrylate and then f- and, and then scrape it smooth with a blade. Um. Uh. And even though it's going to be under the pit guard, you know, trying to make it look as nice as possible. Uh. That way you're not going to get a divot in the pit guard. Mm -hmm. So that's probably what I would do. Um, And then uh, for the adhesive, I I use peel and stick. Mm -hmm. I use double-sided heavy-duty 3M peel and stick uh, for for acoustic pit guards.
2: Second question, same guitar. The binding on the treble side of the neck has come loose back to the fourth fret. Simple enough fix, but I found that the binding is in the neighborhood of three millimeters short of the nut. I'm worried that the gap will just beg to be snagged by a sweater or shirt sleeve, undoing my repair. Am I being paranoid, or am I better trimming off the binding at the fifth fret and replacing it flush with the nut? Thanks, Matt in Milwaukee. I'm
1: having a hard time uh, picturing this. The binding... On the treble side of the neck has come loose.
2: And it must have shrunk.
1: Oh, but I found it. It's three millimeters short of the nut. Oh, that's weird. I don't think it... Three millimeters is pretty big gap. I don't think it shrunk. I think there's a chunk missing. Hmm. Um, am I better trimming the binding at the fifth fret and replacing it? flush with the nut no what I would do is fill that three millimeter gap with a, a three millimeter piece of binding am I misunderstanding this question here I don't think so the binding is three millimeters short of the nut yeah I would I would leave all the original binding intact and I would um, try to patch that three millimeter gap there with just a sliver of binding that's what I would do thanks Matt It's Matt in Milwaukee, Oregon.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, should we take a break?
1: Sure. We'll be right back. If you're at all curious about my guitar repair services or my custom guitars, you can check out my website's ericdaw.com that's for the repair side of things that's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com I would love to help you with that tricky repair or restoration you know maybe you don't have somebody in your area or maybe you've got a very valuable guitar that you don't want to trust to just anybody and the guitars that I make are at pinupcustomguitars.com that's pinup like pinup Girl. P-I-N-U-P I offer worldwide service Uh, On repairs, people send me repairs from all over the country And, uh, well, even internationally And I definitely send guitars all over the world So if you're curious about what I do and want to learn more That's how to check it out EricDaw.com and PinUpCustomGuitars.com
2: Hey guitar nerds, you probably already know that I make custom leather guitar straps. All of my straps are handcrafted from design all the way to completion. You can see examples of my past work on my Instagram account, that's at MelcoLeather. Visit MelcoLeather.com now to get free shipping on orders of $35 or more within the U.S. That's MelcoLeather.com, M-E-L-C-O-Leather.com.
1: And we're back. Back to reality, as my old doctor used used to say. Uh, yeah, Dr. Britton, Dr. Jeff Britton nice. in Seattle. Nice, uh, Yeah, for some reason he would say back to reality all the time. Speaking of, you know, I, I, I quoted Spongebob on the last episode. Do you mm-hmm. remember this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. was a big surprise. Melissa and I, I'm not embarrassed to admit, have watched a lot of Spongebob in our time.
2: And this, and most of it before our children
0: were born.
1: For some reason, it just became like one of the shows that we would watch together, and uh, especially those early episodes, the first couple seasons. Mm-hmm. I just love that show. It just makes me laugh, it makes me happy. Anyway, so I, I, I quoted SpongeBob last episode, and wouldn't you know it, the art director at Nickelodeon, the art director for SpongeBob SquarePants, is a fan of the show, listens to the show. Drew a picture of SpongeBob playing a pinup custom guitar and uh, sent it to me in the mail with a nice little note. Yeah. I, it blew my mind.
2: We're still freaking out about it. That
1: was one of the coolest things. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of. I, I used to work on Gary Larson's guitars from The Far Side, the mm-hmm. cartoonist that drew The Far Side. Yeah. And I had him sign a bunch of Far Side st- stuff for me because he can't. I, I mean, I worked. I, I talked to him a dozen or twelve, you know, 20, yeah. twenty times. Yeah. And every now and then, I'd have him sign one of my because I've collected Far Side books since I was a kid. Hmm. Reminded me of that. Anyway, Peter Bennett, thank you so much yeah. for for the. Uh,
2: that was really, f- really the, cool. The
1: hand drawn picture of SpongeBob playing a one of my guitars. Yeah. I loved it. I I will cherish that forever. So thank you. More questions.
2: Hey, Eric and Melissa, big fan of the show. Keep up the great work. A question regarding my 1996 casino. As one often finds in guitars of this type, my old Korean hollow body guitar is having tuning stability issues. Upon further investigation of my tunematic type bridge and a floating tailpiece, I'm noticing that there are only bridge pins in the top of the hollow body with no blocking underneath. The holes go straight through the top per usual i guess there's no nashville studs there's quite a bit of movement of the bridge pins in the hole for which they were drilled furthermore the bridge piece itself is also able to move without the pins due to the hole being bigger than the pin without the tension of the strings the whole unit can rock back and forth about half an inch on the top of the guitar (laughs) jeez that's a bit much yeah i can't seem to find a replacement bridge that meets the specs of the guitar Do you recommend gluing the pins and shimming them inside the bridge piece to minimize movement? I figure I will replace tuners, the nut, and the tailpiece in an effort of improving tuning stability. Any repair thoughts on this type of guitar would be greatly appreciated. And a bonus question, would finding, or 3D printing, conversion shims to receive humbuckers on this guitar be the dumbest thing ever? (laughs) I know luthiers look down on this type of haphazard modification, but I think the combination of hollow body and humbuckers would sound killer. Thanks in advance, Ken.
1: Thanks for the question, Ken. Uh, Yeah, common misconception, casinos are not actually totally hollow. They should have a block under the bridge. So mm-hmm. like a 335, you know, a 335 and a, and a casino have the same body shape. But a 335 has a center block running down the whole thing from the neck to the strap button, you know. Uh, a a uh, a casino is mostly hollow, but it should have a block under the bridge um screws. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you're throwing me off cuz you're using terms that I don't re- I to me, those are um, posts. They're not pins, right? Mm-hmm. So this guitar doesn't have bridge pins, but the posts. So he's saying there's only posts in the top of the hollow body with no blocking underneath. If you 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 need to look inside there. If there's no block in there, then that's your problem. Yeah, the block fell out or something. But I can't imagine that. And if it did, it would be rattling around in there. And I've never seen that happen. I bet I bet you there's a block in there. I think all that's happened is that uh, uh, the, uh, the holes have become fatigued that the posts screw into.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's what you're dealing with here. That's my opinion. That's my guess. I don't know. I mean, I would have to stick a mirror inside that guitar and be sure. But, um, yeah, look around in there and make sure there's a block. If there's not, then get one (laughs) installed (laughs) because it should have a block Mm -hmm. under the bridge posts. So uh, a lot of people to fix, it's kind of a, it's kind of a hillbilly fix, but it works. They'll get extra thumb wheels and, um, screw them down until they make contact with the body and that keeps the bridge post from rocking back and forth. If it's not very bad, if it's really bad, if it's really rocking a half of an inch one way or the other, um, you might want to take those out and maybe have it have it drilled out for a uh, for Nashville um, inserts like you were talking about. Something something needs to happen there because if there's that much movement in your bridge, then you've got a big problem. Yeah. you're going to have intonation problems absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the he says the bridge piece itself is able to move. About the pins, due to the hole being bigger than the pin. Okay, the post. Okay, so the the holes are much bigger than the post. Well, that's not good. You might have a mismatched. Uh, you might have a mismatched bridge to that, to those posts. I don't know. Send me a picture, Ken. <coughs> Send me a picture. I want to make sure. I'm. I want to make sure. I'm uh, that my comments are. Correct for for what you've got here, and check it out inside. You know what you could do? What take the strings off, remove the bridge pickup, and you should be able to see right there the the block
0: mm-hmm.
1: under the bridge. Mm-hmm. It should be right there. And speaking of the pickups, would conversion shims work to put humbuckers on there? No. You, you won't be able to put humbuckers in there without routing it because humbuckers are a little bit wider or taller um, than uh, than P90s. So I don't think they would fit, man. Sorry, Ken. So you, you would actually have to remove wood to get humbuckers in there. Plus, don't do that. P- <laughs> those P90s are great. If you want to upgrade it, get rid of those Korean P90s and buy some really nice P90s, maybe some... Uh, Some Seymour Duncans or some Lawlers or or email me. I'll make some for you. Cool. There you go. Thanks, Ken.
2: Hi, Eric and Melissa. I've been a listener of your podcast for only about a year and have enjoyed every one of them so much that I've started to dig into the Fret Files archives to enjoy your earlier shows. Oh,
1: dear. Don't go back too far.
2: I'm writing today to ask for some expert advice. In 1979, when I was 14 years old, I acquired my first ever guitar through a catalog for something like $150. The guitar is a Japanese-made 1979 Cortez Stratocaster that was bundled with some no-name amp. It has a natural body, gloss finish, white pickguard, three-way switch, generic staggered pole, single-coiled pickups, three-spring tremolo system, gloss neck and fretboard, black dot inlay fingerboard inlays, standard six in line tuners and a bullet truss rod adjuster at the big 70 style strat headstock Now I'm in my mid-50s, and I have a love-hate relationship with this guitar. Hmm. I hate the way it looks and sounds, but I love it for its sentimental value of being my first ever guitar. I loved it dearly in my youth, but today, in the end, it's an inexpensive guitar that I admire longingly, but hardly play.
1: I have a guitar like that. Mm -hmm.
2: I truly want to fall in love with this guitar again, and I think I can do that with some minor upgrades. I don't necessarily want to spend a ton of money overhauling this guitar and making it unrecognizable, but I believe I would be happy by simply upgrading the pickups and some hardware and changing the pickguard and pickup covers from white to black. I see on Fender's website that I can buy pre-installed pickguards for as low as $200, but what's the fun in that? Hmm. I started thinking how much more special my guitar would be if I assembled the parts together myself and add personal value into the guitar with my own sweat equity. So here I'm asking for some advice in this effort. Although I'm not a luthier by any means, I am somewhat handy with a soldering iron and a screwdriver, and I believe I can navigate myself through a wiring diagram to put the pickups together on the guard. I am a I'm able to find online the fender pickups that I want, the tuners, the guard, and the five-way wiring kit. What would you recommend I could do to further complete this upgrade properly? Are there other things I should consider, like a new trim block, a new output jack, copper shielding, and the pickup cavities? Lastly, got any tips for for the assembling process? Your sage advice is greatly appreciated. Thanks in advance, Vic G. from San Bruno, California.
1: Howdy, Vic. Thanks for the... Thanks for the question. That's cool, man. The You know, I like those old uh, Japanese uh, Fender copies. Yeah. Cortez. It's like a natural uh, big headstock 70s Strat copy. Those are cool. Uh, he hates the way it looks and sounds. Hmm. But he loves it for the sentimental value. I don't know, Vic. Uh, the pessimist in me wants wants me to tell you to just hang it on the wall... And uh, if it's sentimental, just leave it alone. But if you want to upgrade it, let's do it, <laughs> you know. Uh, if you want to upgrade it, you can get a preloaded pit guard or you can buy the pickups in a pit guard. But here's a caveat for you. Um, they're not likely to fit.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: because you're going to be buying parts that are made to fit a fender. That is not a fender. And the measurements may be off. So you might have to modify the pit guard to fit. You might have to drill new uh, mounting holes for the pit guard. Um, you might have to enlarge the pickup routes. But, you know, you you could run into all kinds of problems there. So um, probably what I would do first, if you're thinking about doing this, he wants to replace the pit guard, right? Mm-hmm. He wants tuners, pit guard, five-way wiring kit. Uh, here's what I would do first: order a pit guard and see how it fits, um, because that's going to be that's going to be your main issue there. The pickups should fit the routes, but that pit guard may or may not fit. You might have to open up where it fits around the neck. You might have to open up where it fits around the tremolo. The mounting holes might not line up. Mm -hmm. So there might be all kinds of modifications you have to do here, and this could really frustrate somebody who's uh, not used to doing this kind of stuff. So maybe order a pit guard, because they're cheap. You can can buy a pretty inexpensive pit guard. So order the pit guard, take the pit guard off your Cortez, and see how the pit guard fits before you splurge on things like pickups and wiring kits, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Tuners, same deal. You might order tuners and you'll find that they don't fit through your existing bushings. And then you'll go to try to take out your existing bushings and they chip out the maple because they're in there so tight. So, um, take it easy, be patient, take it slow. Uh, one thing at a time, right? Um, and, uh, you know, what, 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 what do you... What's the big picture here? Are, if you doll this guitar up, are you going to play it a lot? Are, are you going to gig with it? Do you gig? I mean, you know, what are we aiming for here? So yeah. have a goal in mind. Have an end in mind. Because if you leave this as like an open-ended, um, you know, thing, it'll just go on forever. And I, yeah. I don't want to see you ruin this sentimental guitar either, right? So right. don't don't do anything too crazy. I mean, yeah, you could... You know, you could get a new tremolo and a new block for it, and all that. But again, I mean, if you if you order a new block, I guarantee you it's not going to line up with the mounting holes in your tremolo. So you, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're not universal parts, so that's my biggest warning to you. But good luck. Uh, I he he mentioned copper shielding. I'd I would skip that, honestly, my man. I mean, unless you're really, really ocd about hum uh skip the copper shielding cool yeah
2: a new trim block or new output jack
1: sure new jack absolutely but like i said if you order a new trim block it's not gonna it's not gonna line up to the mounting holes on your on your tremolo plate there you go i can almost guarantee that
2: Mm -hmm. well thanks Vic. good luck Hi, guys. I thought I'd shout out a word of warning for all first-time builders out there. Please, please take great care on shaping your fret ends. I have noticed on my recent Fraudcaster build <laughs> that I have rounded the fret end slightly too much, which makes it a little too easy to accidentally slip the sixth string off if your mm. technique is not so great. Yeah. The neck is an all-parts TMO fat. I rolled the edge for that nice played-in feel with the shaft of a screwdriver. Eric? Wow. Eric, if you would be so kind to explain to the listeners, if you think necessary.
1: Nah, uh, no, I think you did.
2: <laughs> uh, then use 1200 wet grit and dry to tidy up the sharp fret ends. I made the mistake to take that a little too far. Yeah, It's not terrible, but I feel I it could be better. I'd hate for any of the listeners out there to make the same mistake or worse on a new neck and then be up for a complete or partial refret to correct it. So please take it gingerly. I greatly appreciate what you guys do for guitar lovers worldwide. Hmm. Eric, Eric, I can hardly wait for my guard to arrive.
1: Oh, it should be. It, it should, should be there. there by now. I, I don't Although know. Although
2: customs it's, might.
1: It's going all the way to Australia, so I mean, it has to cross the international dateline yeah. and everything. I mean, it's almost like trying to send something into the future. Yeah. <laughs> um. What does he say?
2: Uh, take care oh. all and have a happy and safe 2020. Regards, Lonely Andy, the world's only broadcaster blend circuit admirer Ooh. from Daniloquin, Australia. That
1: is a lonely, lonely club. <laughs> probably probably the only member there in Australia. No. Oh. Well, yeah, Andy, thanks uh, for the tip, my man. It is a common mistake, and I, it's something that I see very often uh, when people... Um, without a ton of experience, go to uh, dress the fret edges or do a refret. Uh, botched fret ends are a big problem, and not- I've e- I even see it coming out of pro shops.
2: Yeah, I was going to say not that not that Andy's no doesn't have enough experience.
1: There's a very pro shop in Seattle that um they used to drive me crazy. I was just so tempted to call them up and say, dude what are you guys doing over there? I'm so sick of trying to fix this problem. Please stop doing this, you know, mm-hmm. because they would just munch and just round over fret ends. And if you're any kind of, you know, handshaker, right? I mean, vibrato. <laughs> I'm talking about shaking your playing, your fretting hand. Right. To get vibrato or bending notes. You can really easily pull that. I mean, that E string is close to the edge as it is. Mm-hmm. You need as much playing surface as you can get out of those fret ends. Right. And this shop in Seattle used to just cream it over. Like, it just looked like a, like the, I don't even know how to explain it, you know. Just like, it would make, instead of a nice crisp fret end, it just looked like a ball bearing. It just Mm -hmm. looked like a BB. Mm -hmm. Just totally a rounded off fret. That was their, that was their signature fret end. Not only did it look like they didn't know what they were doing, but it played like they didn't know what they were doing because they didn't. And uh, so I see that all the time. You know, another thing I see a lot is when people do a refret and they go to shape the ends, they'll actually uh, take off too much fret surface in the middle of the neck. And so when you sight the neck... You'll see it, like, from the first fret. I don't know how to explain this. The frets go, like, in toward the neck and then back out by the time you get Mm -hmm. to the butt end. It's like a a curve, like a sideways curve on the fret. You know, because if you have a worn neck that has kind of some neck wear in the middle of Mm -hmm. the neck, then people have a tendency to try to, you know, just make the frets flush with everything going on on the neck and then you go to sight the neck and you realize oh crap these frets cut in toward the center of the neck yeah so that's another common mistake yeah absolutely fret ends are a big deal man a big deal that that it that's one of the first things I look at on a guitar on a custom build or on, on somebody's if somebody tells me oh yeah so you know I had this refretted I immediately look at the fret ends because that tells me everything I need to know. Um, If the fret ends look good, mm-hmm. then I know we're dealing with a professional here. And if the fret ends look good, I can almost guarantee you, as you sight the neck, it's going to be real level. Yeah. Because they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You see amateur fret ends, you're going to look down the neck, and it's going to look like pirate teeth. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Just all over the place, you know?
2: Oh, sorry.
1: Fret ends. It's a big deal. It's something to practice, and it's something to take your time with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Andy.
2: Hey, Eric and Mel. Great podcast. I got hooked after hearing Jason talk about it on TAVA. The, uh,
1: do you know what that is? I
2: do. I can't think you of... You don't. The uh, AMP
1: building. are not hip enough to know tell me what, T-A-V-A. It, what is the it? truth about vintage yes. amps
2: i couldn't remember it with skip simmons
1: and, and jason Verlindi.
2: <sighs> oh, jason the i'm sorry does jason listen nah. <laughs> no i doubt okay. it well go listen to the truth about vintage guitar amps
1: i listen to his podcast yeah no he might listen yeah occasionally anyway sorry he's Jay- busy
2: sorry jason Uh, I got a 1965 Harmony H165 in a package deal. I didn't think much of the guitar before playing it, but man, it sounds pretty good. The only problem is there is a fairly severe bow bow in the neck with no adjustable truss rod. This is the steel reinforced version. Any suggestions on remedies mm. how to flatten this neck out, heat, and press it back flat, or maybe clamp it in place with a minor back bow? I really have no money into this guitar, and I'm willing to give it a shot. Thanks. That's from Matt.
1: Thank you, Matt. Those are great guitars. I love those. A lot of them are, uh, are, are mahogany. Let me, look, let me look this up. The Harmony H165. Is that one of the... Yeah. That's probably a mahogany top, non-adjustable truss rod. Mm-hmm. The strings go through the bridge. There's no bridge pins. Right? Am I right, Matt? Is this ringing a bell?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, But, yeah, no adjustable truss rod. That's a problem. So, uh yes, you're right. You have to clamp it and heat it. Now, this is an operation that gets a little bit tricky because... Uh, if you heat it too much, you can cook the dang thing and, and damage the finish and damage the guitar altogether. If you don't heat it enough, it won't work. You have to find this middle ground. I know people have done this with heat lamps. hmm I know a guy who, uh, I, I swear to you, I know a guy who, when he resets acoustic necks, mm-hmm. he takes them off, he puts them in the oven... Wow, clamped on a very low setting. I and I swear this this guy is like a real real pro guy. He knows what he's doing, but it's scary. Yeah, I have a neck heating iron, basically a neck press that I made out of a they. They used to they used to sell these. You could buy a right. neck a neck heater, a neck heating press. And in fact, uh, Scott freilich uh, makes them and sells them on eBay. I haven't looked for a long time to see if he, if they're still available, but I I made my own. Uh, it's basically a hollow steel rectangular, you know, tube mm-hmm. with a heating element inside, and then I can control the heat, clamp it. Yeah, you want to kind of clamp it with some shims to overcorrect it a little bit, just a little bit, and then heat it up. Um, but, yeah, you it can be done with... I know a guy who does it with light bulbs, wow. with heat, you know, heat lamps. But remember, heat rises, so whatever your heat source is should be under mm-hmm. the thing, that right? That makes sense. You know, anything like a, I mean, there's, there's all different ways to do this. I mean, you could get creative, but take it easy. I would rather have you underheat it and have to do it, you know, Several times. Right. Rather than overheat it and just wreck the thing. Right. Okay, so take it easy, but yeah, clamp it and heat it, and that will force it to do what you want. Cool. That's the way. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt.
2: Hello, pod people. Here's the other option. Uh If you want
1: to send it to me, I'll straighten it out for you. It's not that expensive. Yeah. So let me know.
2: Hello, pod people. I swap pickups now and then, and I love ch- to chase the tone dragon. Hmm. I, he- I hear a lot about phase when it comes to pickups. Eric, what dictates pickup phase, and why should I care? Thanks for the show,
1: <laughs> Alex. Did he say hello, pod people? hmm That's us, I guess.
2: <laughs> I don't like it, but okay.
1: Uh, phase when it comes to pickups. What, dictate- what dictates pickup phase, and why should I care? Well, uh, pickup phase, if we're only talking about one pickup, then phase is not an issue. Phase only becomes a thing when we're dealing with one or more coils. So either a dual coil pickup, as in a humbucker, or two single coil pickups together, right? They might be in or out of phase with each other. It confuses everyone. Who doesn't understand it fully but um a lot of strat players call those in between sounds when they're using two pickups the out of phase settings they're not they're not out of phase they're in phase, but uh on a lot of them they're um the the pickups are reverse wound and reverse polarity from each other to cancel hum right
0: mm-hmm.
1: phase. Uh, when they're truly out of phase, two pickups that are truly out of phase, what it does is it cancels out certain frequencies okay so you end up with a very nasal and hollow sounding very weird it's unmistakable if you had two pickups that were out of phase, you would think, "Why does the volume drop off here and why is this sound? why does this sound so weird um it has to do with magnet orientation and the direction that the electrons are flowing through the pickup, whether it's clockwise or counterclockwise. Okay. That's what it has to do with. So, um, there's a way to, uh, make pickups hum canceling, but still in phase. It's, you know, I, years ago, I wrote up a chart that'll tell you. So I'll post that in the show notes. There is south or north magnetic polarity, mm-hmm. and then there's clockwise or counterclockwise uh, direction, winding direction. So, depending on, you know, two pickups, you could have any number of combinations of those things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and depending on what's going on with them, they will either hum when they're on together, or they will not hum and then they will either be in phase or they will be out of phase. And uh, those are the things that dictate magnetic polarity and winding direction. I will post the chart that I made in the show notes. So if you're curious about that, you can look at that. But it doesn't tell you a whole lot if you don't know. You can't tell just by looking at a strat. Like, you just look at a pickup... Mm -hmm. what magnetic direction they are. You would need either a polarity tester or a compass. A compass will tell you whether it's north or south polarity. Mm -hmm. And then you'll need to know um, what direction the coil was wound or what direction the electrons are moving through the coil. Right? But uh, with a little bit of investigation, you can find those things out. And so this chart will tell you what any two pickups will do together. Cool. I I hope that answers your question. It's a hard thing to understand, and it's a hard thing to explain. But the biggest eye-opener is when you hear it, and you know. I mean, because it's a very unmistakable sound. Personally, I love it. I love that out-of-phase sound, especially when it's two pickups that are out-of-phase, wired together to be hum-canceling and in series. I love that. Cool. That's my thing.
2: Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. There seems to be quite a bit of controversy on the proper use of locking tuners. Some say to pull the string tight as possible before locking, while others say you need some wrap. I know you don't use them, but what are your thoughts? Hmm. Thanks. That's from Doug in Virginia.
1: Well, I don't use them on my personal guitars, but I've used them on a lot of, you know, people bring me guitars, right? I mean, they say, put these locking tuners on here. Mm-hmm. So I've installed a million of them. Uh... As far as the wraps go, the whole reason behind locking tuners is to eliminate wraps, right? hmm That's the whole reasoning behind the design. So uh, y- what you basically do is you just pull the string tight and then s- start winding. Lock it down and wind it.
0: Hmm.
1: And you shouldn't have really more than one time around the capstan with a locking tuner. The whole point is to eliminate the wraps. That's my understanding. Now, mm-hmm. can you put several wraps around the tuner? Absolutely. It's not hurting anything. You can do it either way if you want. If you have locking tuners, you don't really have to do, you know, the, the two or three wraps like you do on a normal non locking tuner. Thank you, Doug. Thanks to everybody appreciate your participation in the show. You should send in some questions. Go to ericdaw.com. That's my website, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. If you click the contact link there, then uh, you can submit your question or comment. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Call or text any time of day or night. We're here for you, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Namaste. No... (laughs) That's a tombstone quote (laughs) No I'm your huckleberry (laughs)